have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Romans, Romans chapter 1, 20 through 23. We're going to be in a lot of different passages, but that's where I want you to start out this morning as we're in this series of lessons that is called Thanks Living. Why? Because we want to move from merely thanksgiving to living in thankfulness every day of the year. Too often we relegate our thanksgiving to a seasonal holiday and we fail to give thanks every day. And this series is like any other series uh, that I, I, I mean, as a pastor teacher, it seems that whatever you're teaching on, then Satan throws that temptation at you while you're teaching it. And so I just started last week, started Monday after just teaching all this Monday, just like just with a, a negative and, and a, uh, just a, 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 a just a just kind of discouraged, depressed about how things are going around me in our culture. And, and I, I just it just struck me that this is the temptation, and this is the struggle, and this is why we need to teach on this. So let's have a Selah moment here uh, and ask ourselves, do I live thankfully before the Lord every day or just on a holiday? And I hope you took the uh, thanks living assessment. It's on your tables if you haven't. If you didn't do it last week, then let me encourage you to do it before Thanksgiving this week. I mean, these are powerful questions, and they're kind of contrasted. They are, aren't kind of. They're definitely contrasted. And just the first one alone is worth reflecting on. Would the people who live nearest to you characterize you as a complaining thir- person or a thankful person? complaining or thankful you're like well after that question i don't know if i want to answer anymore but you do and here's why god gives grace to the humble because here's the reality our hearts are hardwired to give thanks but our pride rebels against it and that's what we see in romans 1 20 through 23. So I hope you're there. Let's look at verse 20. And here's what it says. For since the creation of the world. So the day, the the second God said, let there be. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made. So, The God of nature reveals the nature of God so that they, they who don't believe in God, are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. So a lack of thanksgiving is the first step into apostasy. That's the first step. It isn't like some, it's neglect that leads us away from God, a neglect of thankfulness. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, I know better, they became fools, and exchanged the glory 
of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Instead of worshiping the Creator that everything points to, they worship the creation and ourselves. So, the question we saw last week was, how accurately do you view yourself? Proud people don't give thanks. And so, we had these two charts. Let's look at this first one. The proud heart. And proud people are complainers who think they are deserving. And it all starts with this. I'm basically good, so I'm entitled. And because I'm entitled, I'm deserving. And because I'm deserving, my needs are superior to the people around me. Therefore, they should dedicate their energies. And really, the universe itself ought to be centered on meeting my needs. And therefore, I have expectations that everyone should meet my needs. But we live in a fallen world and everyone fails. And therefore, I'm entitled to not only have my needs met, but when they're not met, I'm entitled to complain. And so that's the idea of the proud heart. Here's what John Piper says about this process. The reason that human heart hates the truth that creation teaches is because it's too humbling. From sea to shining sea, the creation shouts that God has eternal power. God is the infinitely marvelous being. God is the maker of all that is, and we are utterly dependent on his absolutely free choices to create and sustain our life or not. And we should therefore glorify him and not ourselves and give thanks to him and not take credit for ourselves. But proud people don't say thanks. Gratitude is the echo of grace reverberating through the human heart. But proud people don't need grace. So at the root of unthankfulness, complaining, moaning, and whining is a sense of a proud entitlement. So let's look at the next, the next chart. But humble people give thanks because they know they're undeserving. I don't deserve this. Therefore, thank you. Thank you. Only God is good. Only God is entitled to be exalted. And I'm not deserving because I'm a sinner by birth, the moment I was conceived in my mother's womb, and by choice. I came out and I began choosing sin. Therefore, I need his grace to meet my needs. And when he meets my needs, here's the key. When I know God has my back, when I know God is my ultimate source of everything, then that frees me to serve others. It frees me to think of others because I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to me. I know God has that covered. Therefore, I receive eternal blessings when I serve others. This world can't take that away. The economy can't take that away. My health can't take that away. My circumstances can't change the reward for living a Christ-centered, God-glorifying, spirit-enabled life. Therefore, I want to give thanks. And so much of what we should be giving God thanks for are things that we are guaranteed in Christ, but we haven't even received yet. 
So much, as we're going to see this morning, so much of what we should be giving thanks to is unseen, it's eternal, and it is yet to be fully realized in our lives. And therefore, we're back to saying, oh man, God is good, and it's just a continuing, deepening, and really, if I had time, it's like a, a, a circle where you just keep going deeper or almost maybe rising up into the greatness of God. Because the more you see of Him, the more you see of yourself, and the greater humility is the result. And therefore, we... Here's the thing. We should be giving greater thanks the longer we live in Christ. But in the world, what happens? Old people get cranky, critical, and grumpy. Because what's in there comes out. But we as Christians, the challenge for us, it doesn't matter how young or how old you are this morning, the longer you are a Christian, the more thankful you ought to become. So there's the idea. And here's the good news. Taking this assessment is humbling. Well, why is that good news? Who wants to be humble? Because we have God's promise that what? God gives... Let's try that again. God gives grace... Okay, let's try that again. God gives to the humble. I know you can do it. We need to think that way. God gives grace to the humble. So here's how the humble respond. Think about uh, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. He, he's talking about the struggle between the sin nature and the redeemed nature and just how he, he wants to do right. But, but then there's the sin nature in his body of sin. And so he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? That's humbling. I am unable. And then he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me give you another example of this. We should give thanks like the Apostle Paul, but we should also sing thankfully. Like John Newton. How many of you know who John Newton is? Anybody? Who is he? The guy who wrote Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader. He was a slave uh, catcher. He, he, the most despicable uh, occupation on earth, so to speak. The, he became a converted slave trader. He wrote Amazing Grace, and he understood that he lived a wretched life. He was a wretched sinner. Here's what he says in, in, in the uh, famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Okay, then he says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Think about that. Grace convicts and it converts. Listen to that. Grace taught my heart to fear God. But he also relieved my fears of God's judgment. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Then he goes on. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. This grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. So grace not only saves, 
but it sanctifies. And it not only sanctifies, but it will one day glorify. He's walking through his entire life. When we sing this, he's saying, look, grace is what gets you there. And then he says this, when, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Listen, giving thanks and shouting hallelujah is an eternal occupation that begins the moment we're saved as we fight through sin and as we look forward to that final glorification. Think of Dixie Bars, who's in hospice. She has nothing ahead of her except hours, maybe days, weeks, who knows, but just death. But every time I go and I see her, we talk about heaven and we talk about there's so much more ahead of her. It's a, it's, it, and and we, let's praise God. Let's reflect on his blessings. And I always leave more convert, uh, encouraged uh, than when I came. Listen, I'm convinced, but we, we must not only be a people that are thankful, but we must be thankful for the right reasons. Amen. For the right reasons. Day in and day out. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. For what am I thankful? So last week, how thankful am I? The assessment will help you. This week, for what am I thankful? Because here's the deal. When it comes to thankfulness, we are often conflicted. Would you agree? When it comes to thankfulness, we're conflicted. You know, we're double-minded, as James would say. And last week we saw that there are a multitude of reasons for giving thanks. And we looked, and they're all rooted in grace, either common grace that God gives to everyone. You look around, and there's multitude of reasons. But you've got to lift up your eyes. You've got to have the eyes of your heart off yourself and onto those. So this week, at the beginning of this week, when I felt that overwhelming negativity... I was like, okay, I've got to shift my focus. I don't know why. I don't sit there and analyze. Why am I feeling this way? Well, there's a multitude of reasons for complaining. I need to now shift. God and His Spirit has graciously convicted me and warned me. Now I need to shift my focus from to common grace. And maybe I can't see a lot of common grace. Well, then I've got to look for saving grace. That is there. So you've got those two ideas, common grace for everyone. And I think of that here on the earth. And then you have saving grace above that that is hidden in Christ Jesus. So let's look at this. Uh, here's the way why we're conflicted. We're torn between the seen and the unseen. When we give thanks, we're torn between the seen and the unseen. Which is easier to see? I know this is an easy question I'm tossing out. Which is easier to see, the seen or the unseen? The visible or the invisible? So here's the deal. I can see, I can touch, I can hold my wife, my daughter for at least one week coming up here in Christmas, Lord willing. I can handle my paycheck. I can buy things with it. My friends, on and on it goes. Our senses, we can, it's, it's easier to give thanks for what we can see. But it's much harder to see the gifts of saving grace. How often do you give thanks for the conviction of the Holy Spirit? 
Okay, how often do you give thanks for justification by faith, for sanctification, for adoption in Christ, for the imputation of righteousness, for the spiritual inheritance in the coming kingdom? The triune God himself is pure spirit. You have never seen the Father, the Son, or the Spirit. Those things are much harder to to give thanks for. Think about this. Ephesians 1, 3 says this. Every believer is blessed with every spiritual blessing, but where are they? According to Ephesians 1, 3. Where? In heavenly places. So we've got a storehouse of spiritual blessings that we we can't see with our physical eyes. So guess what? Paul says that in Ephesians 1, 3. Then he prays in Ephesians 1.15. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians 1.15. And this is what he prays. He prays, verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, faith is, is, is hard to see, it works, You see the works of it, but faith, your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. So he was giving thanks not just for their good works and not just for their loving behavior, but for what was what the source, the unseen source, faith and love in Christ Jesus while making mention of you in my prayers. So here's what I'm praying for you guys. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, what's he mean by that? Well, what he's saying is not that you need added revelation for the, from the, uh, uh, in addition to the Bible, but that God would make you aware of what you already have in Christ Jesus. Notice, he tells us what he means in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? And what the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? He goes on. He's he's saying this. I pray God will give you eyes to see the unseen. Because when you see it, you'll give thanks for it. Does that make sense? So the seen and the unseen. Secondly, we're conflicted in our thanksgiving because we're torn between the earthly and the heavenly. And I thought about this more better to say the temporary and the eternal. The temporary and the eternal. Why? Because what you can see is often temporary. What you can't see is the eternal. The reason Paul was able to move beyond thanksgiving to thanks living was because he saw the eternal even when what was temporal around him crumbling, falling apart. So listen to 2 Corinthians 4.17. Paul says this, Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, 
For the things which are seen are temporal, temporary, passing away, and the things which are not seen are eternal. So listen, the main reason we're gripers and whiners and complainers instead of waners like Randy is because we're looking at the temporary that we see and it's always falling apart. Man, the infrastructure of our city, one of my biggest uh, battles, infrastructure of this city is falling apart. It is crumbling. It is, I feel like I live in a Jumanji movie. Everything is overgrown. Everything is uncut. Let me tell you some more about this taken because it really gets me. And then I've got to stop myself and say, well, wait a minute. This is a fallen world. This is a fallen city. Fallen management. Look up to what's eternal. It's not fading away. It's not crumb. Does that, does that make sense? Listen, if you're not careful, if you're not aware of what triggers you in, in, in griping, you will have a low-level discontent throughout your life. And then it erupts and, and kind of you vomit it onto the people around you. Thirdly, we're conflicted about Thanksgiving, giving thanks, because we're torn between the gifts and the giver. We're torn between the gifts and the giver. Which do we tend to give thanks for the most? The gifts. I mean, when I've gotten into prayer groups with people and I say, okay, we're going to thank God for what he does and for who he is. And I don't care how much training, how much equipping you do. If your heart isn't orientated, what do people end up giving thanks for? What he does. What he do- I thank you that you did this. I thank you that you've done that. I thank you that you've done that. But to shift that to where you're looking at his character. Yeah, you did that, but how sovereign are you? Oh, you did that, but how gracious you were in that. You did that, but how unchanging are you in all your attributes? That's the hard part. And yet that's where true thanksgiving goes. Listen to James 1.17. Every good thing, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Has that ever been confusing to you? What does that mean? The Father of lights. He's literally saying everything comes down from the Father that created the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars. What's the thing that the sun, the moon, and the stars always are doing? They're moving. They're changing. There's eruptions on the sun. It's just all that. And then what does all that movement create on planet Earth? Seasons that are always changing. Okay, I mean, like anymore, I don't even know what to wear. You got to check all the time because it's always changing. And yet the one who created all that is unchanging. And so we give thanks to him. Uh, There's more we could say. But here's the deal. Too often what we actually want is not a sovereign God, is we want a divine Santa Claus. We want a divine gift giver who will make our lives easier by obeying our every command and granting our every wish. Even And and we want him to do that whether we're naughty or nice. We just want what we want. And when God comes through with that, we give him thanks. But when God fails 
in meeting our expectations, in being our divine gift giver, then we begin to complain. So for the remaining time, I want us to ask, why am I thankful? Why am I thankful? Is my thankfulness based on life's ever-changing circumstances, or is my thankfulness uninterrupted because of an unchanging God? Now, we're not perfect at this, okay? But if we go back to the unchanging God, then our thankfulness will not. So here's the question I want to ask. Are we too thankful for the things that are seen? Are we too thankful for the things that are temporary? Are we too thankful for the gifts instead of the giver? It's not that you shouldn't be thankful, but are you too thankful? Let me explain. Let's look at it. There's five areas I want us to look at. Number one, am I too thankful for control versus God's unchanging sovereignty? Am I too thankful? How many people like life to be controllable? Come on. Come on. Actually, everybody. Okay. The, the ones that, that either raise their hands immediately or tended not to know, you really like that. Okay. You really like that. But what happens when life isn't organized? What happens when life isn't controllable? Are we no longer thankful for God's sovereignty? Do you see that's we're too thankful for control. And when it's out of control, we should remain thankful for God's sovereignty. And I just can't help but think of Job. In other words, when life spins out of control, Job's life spun out of control beyond our wildest imaginations and his. He lost everything, including his health. The only thing he didn't lose was a nagging wife. You know, like, God, if you're going to take everything, why didn't you take her? But he didn't. He left her there. Now, here's what Job says after this happens. Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, that's at the beginning of the book. Now, Job struggled with that. Job complained to God about that, but he complained to God. And at the end, he remained true to what he said at the beginning. He thanked God for his sovereignty. Second question, am I too thankful for success versus God's unchanging goodness? So think about this. What happens when we don't succeed? Well, I don't care whether I succeed. I've kind of lived my life. I've figured out where I'm, I'm landing in life. But I want my kids to succeed. Well, what happens when they fall short? Are we no longer thankful for God's goodness? So when we climb the ladder of success, we pass the test. We make a great presentation. We close the sale. We get the promotion. Our grandkids are succeeding in the ways that we always hoped they would. We thank God for his goodness. But when these things go away, what happens? Think about the Apostle Paul. For much of his life, you know, we think of him as, you know, we think of Paul's life as to the right and upward. You know, it's just an unsteady 
ascent into great success. But do you realize that most of his life, he was treated like a failure and was used and abused by the people around him. And yet, here's what he says. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 1. Here's a great example of what happens when things aren't going well. First of all, Philippians 1, 12, he's in jail. Okay, so that's, that things aren't going too successfully there. He's in jail. Philippians 1, 12, and here's what he says. Now, I want you to know, brethren that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Wait, time out. You're in jail. What are you talking about? So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. The news of why I'm in here and how I am responding to it is spreading. And that, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Then here's where he gets real. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. And here's the motive, thinking to cause, my, cause me distress in my imprisonment. I mean, how low do you got to go? Paul's in prison. That's bad. Let's make it worse. Let's go out, preach Christ, stir up a ruckus, and maybe they'll kill him. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Now, what is Paul's attitude? What then? Do you see? He has a choice. He says, how am I going to respond? And here's what he says. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will keep on rejoicing. Why? Because God is still good. And look at what he's saying. He says, I can look at the bad, and I'm, not, I, I'm a realist. This is bad, but I choose to look at that which is eternal and good, and in this I will rejoice. Wow. Okay. Number three, am I too thankful for acceptance or approval or affirmation or all ways of saying that, am I too thankful for acceptance versus God's unchanging love? So what are we talking here? When we're surrounded by people who love and admire us and our relationships are going well, oh, God, your love for me is amazing. God, you love me so well. But what happens when our friends or families disappoint? Are we no longer thankful for God's love? So you see what we're looking at? Are we too thankful for that which is temporary, seen, and can change? Or do we remain ever more thankful for the love of God which never ends? So think about Jesus. It's the night before he goes to the cross. One of his 12 chosen disciples has already betrayed him. Judas has gone into the night and betrayed him. Jesus knows and is 
already predicted that all of the 12 remaining 11 men that he has invested three and a half years of his life are going to utterly abandon him in his greatest moment of trial. And here's how he prays. John 17, 26. I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which with with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, I don't know about you, but when people betray me, let me down, I want to separate myself from them. And I may know the Christian thing is to forgive them and be nice, but I just don't even, you know, you don't want to be around them. Christ says, I want the love with which you have loved me to be in them and I want to be in them. That's just amazing, amazing gratitude and thankfulness. What about number four? Let's look at another area. Am I too thankful for possession versus God's unchanging provisions? So, okay, we finally get for Christmas what we always wanted. We're finally able to purchase the house we always dreamed of. We're finally getting the promotion, the raises, the things that we have wanted. And we thank God for his good gifts. Hey, I just want you to thank God he did this for me. But what happens when those things are withheld from us? What happens when they're stolen? They're vandalized. They're burned up. Are we no longer thankful for God's good gifts? Interesting. Can we persevere? Here's the thing what Job did. Job lost all of that, including all of his children, and he persevered through that and was able to still be thankful. Yes, it was a struggle. Yes, there was lament. There was, I mean, he came right up to the edge of, of abandoning God. But by grace through faith, he persevered. And he always brought that to God. He always brought it back to God. And it's just an amazing story. But think about Paul. Listen to Paul in Philippians 4.10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, I needed financial help. And you wanted to, but you couldn't. Now you can. I want to say thank you. But he says it. He has a disclaimer. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned. It's a learning process to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. Very little. I also know how to live in prosperity. You know, it's as hard to keep your eyes on God when you have much as when you have little. That's what he's saying. In any and every circumstance, I have learned. There's he said it twice. Learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I've, I've done the whole gamut. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've got to have that upward. You've got to have that upward. Number five. Let's look at the fifth one. Here's the last one. Am I too thankful for comfort 
versus God's unchanging blessings. I, I think the direction our world is going, I think the direction our culture is going, I think the direction our country is going, but just the direction of our lives is we are going to be increasingly losing the comforts that we so associate with living in this world, particularly this country. When life is hassle-free and we got the pleasures of life coming in the created world, we thank God for his blessings. But what happens when comforting things are removed? Are we no longer thankful for God's blessings? Okay, Because here's the deal. No matter what your circumstances are this morning, Ephesians 1.3 is still true. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you have every spiritual blessing. You are blessed. You, your socks are blessed off. You, you've got, I don't even know what that means, but you're blessed beyond. You're just blessed. Yeah, but this isn't where I want to be. No, we often are not where we want to be, but we are blessed. Now, think about Paul. Here's what Paul says, and why don't you turn to it. 2 Corinthians 4. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4, and I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians 4, because this is amazing. 4, 7 through 12. Look at what he says. But we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of our salvation in Christ, the treasure of being able to share the gospel. We have this in earthen vessels our broken bodies, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not of us. He uses us, weak, broken people, so that he gets the glory. Now, this is what he says. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. I can give thanks for that. We are perplexed, but we're not despairing. I can give thanks for that. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but thank God, not destroyed. We're always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. We're always on the point of death so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. When I'm talking about visiting someone in hospice who is a believer in Christ Jesus and finishing faithful in their belief, death permeates. You can smell it literally. You can see it physically. You can sense it spiritually. And yet in that death, there's a fragrant aroma of hope in Christ. Amen? And then he says this, So death works in us but life in you. Now drop down to verse 15. Why? Why is Paul this way? Why and how can you and I be this way? Look at verse 15. For all these things, all that he just said in verses 7 through 12, they're for your sakes, Corinthians, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Here's what he's saying. My difficulties are being used of God to spread his grace. And as his grace spreads, people give thanks. And as they give thanks, God is glorified. 
Grace, gratitude, glory. That's what he lived for. Does that make sense? Now notice in your notes, you say, well, what did Paul endure? Look at what he endured. He endured all those things that are listed there. And he did it with a sense of gratitude. And so I want to end with a couple notes, a couple quotes. The whole point of this lesson is, why are you thankful? And if you're like, you can be shallow and superficial in what you are grateful for. Okay? But we have seen in God's unchanging character that we can arise above a seasonal and shallow thanksgiving to live thankfully throughout. Thanksgiving is a radical act of allegiance. That's the quote. When I give thanks, I am giving allegiance to the unchanging God. Our gratitude exposes our true affection. So here's my idea. If we're too thankful for the material, it's because we are in love with the material world. We're a material girl or a material boy, and we focus on those things. But if our affections are on Christ and that which is unseen, then that is manifested no matter what our circumstances. Where we direct our thanks is a clear indicator of what we believe. And I would say, when we fail to direct our thanks... That is an indicator of what we believe. Here's what uh, one uh, famous Christian apologist, G.K. Chesterton, said. A saint is one who exaggerates what the world neglects. And nowhere do you see this more, for Audra's sake, than in Christmas music, right? The world's Christmas music. While I enjoy it, it is just down here. It's all based on loving someone. Well, how many people don't have anybody to love this Christmas? Tons of people. It's not even realistic. And those of you that have a mate know that it's not always a Merry Christmas with your mate. But true Christ Christian Christmas songs are way up there. And that's why, as I will put this plug in, You can listen to Christmas music, Kirk, year-round because it's truly centered on who? Christ. And he is worthy to be praised all the time. Now here, end with this C.S. Lewis. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum Because he can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday on the sea. Like, no, I'm just going to stay here and just settle for mud pies when you could be going all-expense-paid trip to Disney World. I don't know. Was that that? Yeah. Yeah, that was for the kids. Here's what he ends up by saying. We're far too easily pleased. By the earthly, by the seen, 
by the temporary and by the gifts instead of the giver. Well, here's what I want you to reflect on. Notice what it says in your notes, and we'll end with this. Take some time this week. It's holiday week, Thanksgiving week, and if you already took the assessment, great. Here's some reflection. If you haven't taken the assessment, take it, but then reflect on these. In what ways have I begun to think I'm entitled to the physical blessings God so freely bestows? Well, what can I do to recognize God's early gifts, earthly gifts, in a way that keeps me humble rather than pridefully too thankful? What can I do to recognize God's spiritual gifts in Christ and increase my gratitude? Listen, I'm telling you, you've got to be in this book. To the degree that you are in this book, you are thankful for the right things. And to the degree that this book remains shut Monday through Saturday and only opened perhaps on Sundays when you're here is the degree that you're going to be focused on the earthly and the temporal. And that's true for me. Every time I neglect this book for my own spiritual growing, uh, you, you grow cold and you look down instead of looking up. And that's another reason why. I would encourage you to, and if you don't buy this book and use it, that's great, but use some sort of tool. Uh, I try to do this at Advent. I try to do it uh, leading up to Easter, but especially leading up to Christmas. And it just always sets me in the right heart attitude going into the new year. So, why are you thankful? And when are you thankful? All the time, you know, up and down, but... Focused on the unchanging. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. Wow. You have done so much for us in Christ Jesus. You have done so much for us in this body of believers. And Lord, let us enter into this week enjoying the turkey, enjoying uh, the meals, enjoying uh, football, enjoying whatever it is that we're going to enjoy. Every good gift It comes down from you. But Lord, let us lift our eyes up and see the unseen. See the eternal and give thanks for you as the giver of it all. Lord, I pray for each person here. Some may be discouraged this holiday time. Some may be lonely. Some may be facing financial or physical decisions. But, Lord, through it all, let us be like Job, let us be like Paul, let us be like the men and women in Hebrews 11, and let us get our eyes onto what is unchanging. I pray your thanksgiving blessings on